We're going to continue on in our study of Mark's gospel by looking at Mark chapter 11, I'm sorry, Mark chapter 14, the first 11 verses. Um, Before we do that, before we stand and read that passage together, uh, I just want to set the scene and remind you of a few things uh, in this time. It's going to be just a brief reflection on these first 11 verses. Uh, But again, before before I read it, let me just set the scene a little bit. It's, It's two days before the Passover. Um, the, uh, the religious leaders, the chief priests and the scribes have been wanting to kill Jesus. They've been wanting to arrest him and kill him since chapter 3 when Jesus healed a man in the synagogue on the Sabbath. It was at that point that they determined that Jesus had to die. Um, and then here in, the, in Mark chapter 11 and 12, uh, we, we saw Jesus kind of asserting his authority, you know, as Son of God, as Lord of the temple, he came in and, and cleared the uh, money changers out of the court of the Gentiles. Um, he thwarted every attempt of the religious leaders to catch Jesus in his words, to try to make him say something publicly that would enable them to legitimately arrest him, and, and none of that worked. And so now they're trying to find a way to secretly, you know, by stealth, arrest Jesus and kill him. They were trying to do it secretly because they understood that the crowd was very much with Jesus. Now, they weren't with Jesus in the sense that Jesus wanted them to be with him. They were with Jesus because they thought that Jesus was the latest Messiah figure, the the, the one who would deliver Israel from the oppressive rule of the Romans. This was the time of the Passover. They were commemorating, they were remembering how God had delivered Israel from Egypt and had raised up Moses to do that. And so this was a particular time in which you could say that nationalistic fervor was kind of at a fever pitch. Every year when this happened, they were looking for some Moses-like figure who would deliver Egypt, or sorry, deliver Israel from their current Egypt, if you will, in this case from the Romans. And so the religious leaders knew if we, if we arrest Jesus and have him killed now during the Passover in a very public way, there's going to be a riot. If there's a riot, the Romans are going to take note. And if the Romans come in, they're going to take away the power of the religious rulers. And they didn't want that to happen. And so they decided we'll wait till after the Passover. We will find a way to get our hands on Jesus, and we will have him arrested. And of course, at the end of the passage I'm going to read, we see Judas playing right into their hands. He is going to be the one who will provide them the opportunity to arrest Jesus by night. It wouldn't be after the Passover. I'm sure the religious leaders were thrilled. They were going to get a chance to do this secretly before Passover was over, completed. In the meantime, Jesus has made his way, Jesus and his disciples have made his way back to Bethany. This is about two miles outside of Jerusalem. Uh, The text is going to tell us that he was at the home of a man by the name of Simon. It was identified as Simon the leper. No one knows for sure who this Simon was. The, The best guess is that he is someone who Jesus had healed of leprosy. And he was throwing, you know, if you will, an appreciation banquet or feast Uh, for Jesus. And um, John's gospel, actually you read the same account in Matthew and you read it in John. And in John's gospel, we get a little bit more detail than what Mark gives us. Mark is characteristically to the point. That's his whole letter is boom, 
Key word is Greek, euthus, which means immediately. And you always read immediately this. This happened next. Boom, boom. John gives us a little bit more detail. John tells us that um, uh, Lazarus was there, right? Risen from the dead, Lazarus was reclining at table. Wow, what a conversation that must have been. John also tells us that Mary and Martha were there. And John also tells us that it was Mary who actually came forward and took the expensive ointment or perfume and poured it on Jesus' head. So that's the scene. I've said it. Let's, get, let's, uh, let's read it now. Why don't we stand? And we'll read Mark chapter 14, verses 1 through 11. Hear the word of the Lord. It was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him, for they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was this ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, Jesus' words have been fulfilled yet again, haven't they? This woman's story has been read, and it's going to be told. We're going to honor her, Mary. We're going to honor Mary this morning by making a couple observations about her act of love, her demonstration of her devotion to Jesus. But we're also going to ask some questions with the hope that we too will grow in our love for Jesus, that, that we too will do things that Jesus would call beautiful simply because we love him. So two observations this morning and two questions. First observation, her love defied convention. Her love defied Convention. What made it unconventional? Well, first of all, a woman was approaching a man at the table. There's, a, there's another account in Luke chapter 7. It's a different story of a, a different woman who approaches Jesus in the house of a different Simon. Simon was a very common name. A different Simon who was hosting a feast for Jesus. And she approached Jesus and, and um, wept, you know, knelt at his feet and anointed her feet with oil and and then dried her feet, his, his feet with her, t- with her uh, hair, right? This was the same kind of a scenario. John tells us that in addition to Mary anointing Jesus' head with this perfume, she also got down at his feet and washed his feet with her tears and you know, had let down her hair and, and dried them with, dried the tears off his feet with her hair. 
not normal practices, unconventional, extremely unconventional. And not, not only that, but the idea of anointing someone's head with perfume or, or ointment, also not done. I mean, the, the host may give the guest a little bit of olive oil in order to kind of, you know, freshen up his head. But this idea of when somebody is seated, pouring out uh, expensive ointment on them, again, extremely unconventional. It was also controversial. And it was controversial because of the value of the perfume. It was also controversial because of the timing, what happened, and because of Jesus' teaching when it came to care for the poor. So the value, the value of this, well, the contents, first of all, the contents of the flask were pure nard, the text tells us. That nard was from the Himalayan region of North India. The flask itself was made of alabaster. Alabaster came from Egypt. So at some point, this flask and this nard were imported from two other places and put together. John says that it was a Greek pound. So a Greek pound is about three quarters of a you know, English pound. That's how much nard was in this flask. Most likely, this was a family heirloom. It was something that was being passed down from generation to generation. You couldn't just dab a little bit of it out. In order to open this flask, you had to break it. And once you broke it, it was going to be used. The text tells us it was worth 300 denarii. Now, you've heard me say before, one denarii was one day's wage for a laborer in that day. And so 300 denarii is 300 days wages. So translating that into, you know, our common wages today, if somebody makes $15 an hour and they work eight hours a day and they do that for 300 days, that's 36 grand, $36,000 poured over his head. I mean, I'm sure it smelled great. But you can imagine why the people around him were like, wait a minute, we could have used this a lot better than this. This could have been used for the poor. That actually made sense for two reasons. First of all, it was the time of the Passover. The time of the Passover was when there was a, a particular time of almsgiving, of collecting an offering for the poor. That was a great time to do that kind of a thing. And then, of course, there's Jesus' teaching, not just Jesus' teaching, but the whole Bible's teaching about the need to care for the poor. Jesus, of course, in uh, Matthew 25, in talking about the last judgment, will say, as you have done to the least of these, the, the poor, the, the naked, you know, as you've done to them, you've done to me. That's how much Jesus identifies with the poor. And so you can understand why the disciples were aghast. We could have used this in such a better way. Now, John tells us that Lazarus was the one who actually was kind of the chief complainer and Lazarus was also the treasurer, and Lazarus was also skimming off the top, taking money out of the purse, and so his complaint was for an entirely different reason. But you can imagine why the other disciples were thinking, this, we could have used this in a, in a different way. This was unconventional, it was controversial, but Jesus said, no, this is perfectly logical. This makes perfect sense. This is exactly what she should be doing right now. And the reason he gave, because I'm here. I'm here. You won't always have me. 
You'll always have the poor with you, verse 7. And whenever you want, you can do good for them, but you will not always have me. Jesus is saying, I'm here, guys. Now is the time to do beautiful things to me. And what she did, taking this expensive ointment, this flask, the contents of which are worth, in our day and age, 36 grand, for her to take that and pour that out on me, that was exactly the right thing to be doing in this moment. He wasn't, you know, minimizing the need to care for the poor. He was saying in that moment, in that house, with that woman, with that gift that she had to bring, with him present, that was exactly the thing that she needed to be doing. Her love defied convention, but in Jesus' mind, it made perfect sense. Her love, secondly, was an expression of what she could do. That's the second observation. Her love was an expression of what she could do. You can imagine Mary, you know, standing nearby, observing everything that was going on, wanting to do something for Jesus because she loves Jesus. And thinking, you know what? I can do this. I can take this ointment and I can pour it over Jesus' head as a demonstration of my love for him. I'm going to do that just because I love him. There's lots of things that I can't do, but this I can do. What about you? What about us? For some, the thing that we can do is to sacrifice and make great risks, take great risks in a dark and desperate place like Haiti. This is what our brother Pastor Osei and so many others that are involved with Souls Winning Ministries are doing. This is the thing that they can do. Out of love for Jesus, Pastor Osei and others who are serving with him know that it won't be their love for John Paul and their desire to carry on his work that will sustain them. It won't be their love for the people in the place of Haiti that will sustain them. It will be their love for Jesus and their willingness to pour out their life as a fragrant offering for him in that place that will sustain them. That is the thing they can do. What's the thing that you can do? For some, it's, it's a call to give sacrificially for work such as that in Haiti, being undertaken by souls winning ministries. For some, it looks like caring for a loved one in their infirmity. For some, it looks like service in the church that largely goes unseen. For some, it looks like continuing on with a job that feels very mundane but doing so as an opportunity to give glory to the God who calls us to work and calls work a good thing. These are the things that we can do. Things that maybe are seen, things that maybe aren't seen, things that would be considered great in the world, things that would be considered folly by people in the church. And yet things when done out of devotion to Jesus are beautiful. Sometimes these are opportunities that only come once. This was Mary's last chance. I think she must have known what was happening in terms of you know, the direction things were headed. I mean, Jesus had said, I'm going to be killed, and on the third day I'm going to rise. 
And so here's this, you know, maybe in Mary's mind, last opportunity to do something beautiful to Jesus. We don't know if she planned it beforehand. We don't know if this was kind of a thing she did on impulse. But the key is this. She had a desire in her heart to do something to Jesus, and she did not let the moment pass by. I love the way William Barclay put it in his commentary. He said this, Love can see that there are things the chance to do which only comes once. Love can see that there are things the chance to do which only comes once. It is one of the great tragedies of life that often we are moved to do something fine and we do not do it. It may be that we are too shy to do it or that we feel awkward about it. It may be that second thoughts suggest a more prudent and common sense course. It comes in the simplest things, the impulse to send a letter to someone to thank them for something they have done, the impulse to tell someone how much we love them and how grateful we are to them, the impulse to give some special gift or speak some special word, and the tragedy is that the impulse is so often strangled at birth. This world would be a so much lovelier world if there were more people like this woman who acted on her impulse of love because she knew in her heart of hearts that if she did not do it then, she would never do it at all. How that last extravagant, impulsive kindness must have uplifted Jesus' heart. The other thing, too, is you don't know how significant your action might be. Jesus said, you know what she's actually doing here? She's anointing my body for burial. Jesus knew that there would not be time to anoint his body for burial after he died on the cross. That's what Jewish people did. They didn't embalm their bodies. They, they uh, anointed them with oil, with expensive perfumes. That wasn't going to be able to happen. By the time we get to Mark 15 and 16, we'll realize Jesus died in the evening on a Friday. The Sabbath was on Saturday. It wouldn't be until after the Sabbath that his body would be able to be anointed. And so Jesus said she's doing it now. Did she realize that? Probably not. She probably didn't understand the significance of what she was doing. And it may be, too, that we don't understand the significance and the impact of the things that we do simply out of love for Jesus. Mary did what she could out of love for Jesus. It it really is, like if you don't remember anything else I say, remember to pray for Haiti and remember that Mary did what she could out of love for Jesus. In that moment, it looked like taking a family heirloom, breaking it, and pouring the contents out on Jesus' head. Impulsive, maybe, Unconventional, most definitely. Beautiful, absolutely. Through and through. Those are the two observations. Secondly, two questions. One for reflection and one that's geared more toward application. First question, when was the last time you did something for Jesus simply because you love him? When was the last time that you did something simply as an expression of your devotion to Jesus Christ? Because these are things that he considers beautiful. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. I am not saying that we are accepted by God based on our works. 
Please understand that no matter how much our good works are done out of love for God, they cannot save us. Only the work of Christ in our place can save us. Salvation is by grace alone through faith alone. The second thing I'm not saying is that God is less pleased when we obey simply because he's God. I'm not saying that either. God's not pleased when our obedience is begrudging. God is not pleased when our obedience is perfunctory. But I do believe that when God's children obey him simply because he is God, out of a desire to honor him as such, I believe that God is pleased with that. Again, our works are only acceptable in Christ and because of Christ. And yet the Bible does say that we're to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love. It's an act of the will. It's also an act of the heart. Something we're meant to feel. A desire to love God for God's sake. And so it is worth asking ourselves, when was the last time that I did something for Jesus simply as an expression of my devotion to him? And then the second question is this, then, how can I grow in my love for Jesus? How can I grow in my love for Jesus? Well, what would Mary tell us? Mary would tell us to sit at Jesus' feet because that's what Mary loved to do. In Luke chapter 10, we read about Mary and Martha. We tend to zero in on Martha, don't we? Poor Martha. Martha, Martha was busy with many things. Don't be like Martha. No, we don't want to do a don't be or be like any human being in Scripture. But let's not overlook what Luke tells us Mary was doing. Mary loved to sit at Jesus' feet and listen to his teaching. Mary would say to us, don't, don't look at me. Listen to him. Listen to Jesus. Jesus gave us his word and he gave us his spirit. Why? So that we would have a guidebook for life? No. So we could know how to save ourselves? No. That we might love him. That we might know him. And in knowing him, love him. Do you want to grow in your love for Jesus so that you do things simply because you love him? Things great and small, things seen and unseen, things that Jesus considers beautiful? Then meditate on the beautiful thing that he did for you. Hebrews 12 tells us, let us look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. His was the ultimate, unconventional, controversial demonstration of love. As one who was and is fully man, he demonstrated this love out of devotion to his Father in heaven. As one who was and is fully God, he demonstrated his love out of devotion to you and your salvation. And the joy that was set before him, Isaiah tells us, told us long ago, the suffering servant, the Lamb of God, would look upon the results of his suffering and be satisfied. You are the joy that was set before him. He who had no beauty, Isaiah tells us, 
He who had no beauty in the eyes of the world, who in his crucifixion became marred beyond human semblance, did the ultimate beautiful thing. He rescued you. Meditate on his love revealed to us in the gospel, and your love for him will grow, and from your love, a life of beauty will flow. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for preserving this story, for making sure that we would be able to tell the story of this woman, Mary, and her deed of love, that we might be able to understand the, the results that come when we meditate on your love for us, when we, as it were, sit at your feet and learn from you. God, would you, by your word and by your spirit, help us to better appropriate in our hearts in a deeper way the reality of your love for us, that we might respond in love for you, doing things seen and unseen, great and small, unconventional, maybe even controversial, but nonetheless beautiful because they are done for you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.